You're listening to the BFAX and B Frank show. Got another awesome episode for you this week, if I do say so myself. Austin Torres will join us later in the program. Um, a good conversation with him. But first, we have to start again with everybody's favorite topic of conversation, college football, the coronavirus. We can do a little choose-your-own-adventure thing here. I have some good news. I have some bad news. Where do we want to start? Bad first. Always bad first. Um, there are shockingly some problems with things and people complying with said things. Um, let's start with the SEC. Who, there, there's good news and bad news here. The good news, which despite your request, I will start with, they released the week one games. So it yes. looks stuff is happening there. But at the same time, we are seeing as campuses start to open, um, one of the notable pictures I shared on Twitter is, it's really, it's really an eye roll moment was lots of people in Alabama gathering in close proximity, no masks. UNC, another place that has had several clusters already. Um, and they're, they're just shutting down in-person classes almost immediately due to coronavirus outbreaks, all remote learning. This is kind of the problem with college football that we talked about initially. If you're not having campus fully open, it's very, very difficult to then, you know, explain how football players are going to be different. Certainly treating people differently, which I think the whole point was not to do that and not to, I, I, the, the safest way to have done things is to make it a bubble where just the athletes are on campus. But obviously, like we've talked about at length, that is treating them as more like greater than students because aside, you know, their athletic scholarship obviously helps, but they're also getting the on-campus treatment as opposed to the rest of the student population that would have to stay home, pay full tuition and or whatever their tuition price is and go through virtual learning. It is basically admitting that they need the athletes on campus so that they can play the game, so that they can make the money. That obviously has been a, a point of contention and, and a big issue and I think it's a lot, of, a lot of what we're seeing with what's going on in the Big Ten because most of those schools are there but not playing – they're not playing sport or football in the fall or sports in the fall. But, you know, the argument is why can Tony's frat be on campus but why can't the athletes play? And it's like, well, that's – these are wholly different arguments and – uh I guess it's at least a good sign that the SEC released games, but at the same time, like you said, we, we still have people who have seen multiple big leagues cancel their schedule for the fall or at least postpone it for the spring. And we still, we collective, obviously here in this sense, still are not following proper guidelines or just the simple task of either staying six feet away from each other or wearing a mask when you're in public, like to, to, outrageously easy things to do and just not even close to happening. And this, this was the fear of most people, I think, when 
when we saw that schools were, or, you know, school was coming back around. Fucking Tony, the frat star, catching some strays there. Um, but it's the, it's the people who are going to scream and yell the loudest about college football right. that are the least willing to make these small sacrifices necessary to make that a possibility. Um, and I, I mean, again, I do apologize a little bit for painting with a broad brush, but generally speaking, it's, you know, people in football crazy country, or not countries, counties and states and cities that are struggling with this the most. Um, not only like the existence of the virus, but, you know, the, the actual threat and, you know, that it is easily transmissible. Um, there's not, not much you can do at this point, I think, to convince people who have been saying this for the last, you know, five, six months. Um, there's, there's been plenty of, of data to, to try to convince people. If they're not going to listen, they're not going to listen. But what doesn't help is what the Big Ten has been doing. Um, they have completely lost the messaging battle um, by just not being transparent at all. Um, you know, there's been reports of a vote. Now you have some schools coming out and saying, you know, it wasn't really a vote per se. Well, what the fuck does that even mean? Um, and, and just like, if you're getting input from medical experts about whether or not to have a season, the, the best way to help your case just be to share that information with anyone um, about how real the risk is. Um, but the fact that they're pretty much staying tight-lipped about everything is, is not really helping optics at all. It is, it is a bad visual and it's just, it, it's just driving a bigger wedge between you know, the Big Ten, Pac-12, and the rest of the country who's still trying to do what they can to plan the fall. Yeah, and I will add, since obviously we're both in Chicago, all, every state in SEC country is a hotspot that if you go to, you have to self-quarantine from. So just, just pointing right. out what's going on, and it's based on, you know, daily infections per 100,000 people. All that said, I still think like the SEC can get a season in. I think it's going to be extremely difficult, but I think they can do it if they, you know, actually put forth the effort and have some sort of cooperation from whether it be the student population or whoever else is going to be on or near campus over to the big 10. The supposed vote, I believe, was 12 to 2 with Nebraska and Iowa voting no against canceling the season and everyone else voting for canceling the season. It's just why, why, be, why, why be behind closed doors with something so publicized right now? Like, you are basically the big – I mean, you have – preseason one or number one or number two team, depending on who you ask in the country, why are you not, you know, openly talking about what you're going to do for this season? Why are you not making it as clear as possible? Like you said, bring these medical experts out, not only have them, you know, what not only read statements or read their findings, maybe put someone behind a podium next to the big 10 commissioner. I don't know, just a couple ideas here that seem like such low hanging fruit that you could easily do in any scenario, but they, the folks in Rosemont are refusing to do so. And now all of a sudden it is 
going to keep blowing up and continue to get worse as other leagues move forward. Like, yeah, I think at the end of the day, if if you have a gun to my head, I don't know that the SEC, Big 12, um, ACC, whoever's still on course to play football this season, I don't know that they get through a full season. I think they try and play a couple games, and if one school gets a breakout, like an outbreak, it's over. But they are trying to do it, and I don't know if there's any benefit of trying to do it, but at least they're like being fully transparent in their plans of like, we are still moving forward with this, and it's not he said, she said. Yeah, I, I think that the biggest roadblock in my mind to – season happening is if you're going to just have more or less normal travel and everything, you're going to have a situation like the Cardinals, like Marlins. It's really going to throw a wrench into everything. So yeah, I I mean, definitely a strong possibility that at least one or two conferences start the season, but as it stands, it's difficult to see anybody finishing. The one school I would have confidence in playing a whole season is Clemson just because they've already had like a third of their roster infected. They got that out of the way very early when they initially came back for workouts, but kind of the, the end of the day, this is all about money from, from every perspective from colleges. And that's why, even though, you know, I, I would expect most findings would, would say opening up the entire campus is, is not going to be safe. They wanted to do that anyway, because it's easier to justify, you know, charging full tuition when it's in-person classes versus, versus all virtual learning, which people would really make a, a whole stink about. So when you do that and you're the big 10 and in a, a pretty transparent money bag, that's how you lose, you know, the, the visual battle because you, you've got all of the Clay Travis's of the world screaming like, this is hypocritical, um, you know, opening up campus, not having fall sports. And that's fair. That's a fair criticism. And that's why, you know, if, if you are so confident in your, the input you're receiving from medical experts and that research there, I, I just don't understand how it behooves you to keep that to yourself, um, especially on like such a, a controversial topic. Like I, is there, does public relations not exist in the big time? I, I just don't, I don't understand the strategy they're taking here. It left with Jim Delaney. No, and although, like, although he was not a PR wizard either, no. but no, I, I, I agree. I think, I think, I don't know. I think this is where college gets exposed. Like colleges, college athletics in general, you know, college, the business of college gets exposed for what it actually is. Like, yes, it is supposed to be a place of higher learning, but it is also a pure, unfiltered money grab in every sense of the word. And this is a whole different, like, philosophical point, but it's like, at some point that has to change because people, like, people are losing significantly because of that. And while that is off topic like that, that is also one of the big points. And one of the reasons, like it's one of the key arguments against why players shouldn't be paid. It's like, Oh, well they receive a free education and that can cost up to $200,000 for some students. Like, yes, but you know, I'm not going to go through the whole argument. It's like, yes, it does cost, it can cost that much. 
because of what these schools are able to charge because people are going to pay it. So that's what it boils down to, like you said. And until I like that both sides can be right. I think in this, like, I, th- I think you can, or not right, but both sides have valid arguments in that if you open up campus, why can't you play sports? And the other side can be, well, you can open up campus, but to have, you know, to have athletes competing in physical, you know, uh, physical sporting events where they're, you know, next to each other on top of each other, hitting each other, that can be a possible quick spread. So there's no winning here. And there's even less winning when you try, not try and hide things, but you just don't openly speak about something that is so top of mind for every person in the world right now. Well, it's the parents again, that sitting on your hands for four or five months was not the best course of action because, you know, had you kind of considered this as a possibility, you might have had a better plan with how to roll it out um, and how to, how to really take a serious look at what the next steps might be, which is still kind of a, something that's being figured out day to day. And I understand that to an extent, we are learning new information every day about the virus and its effects, but like just, just wishing this would go away and not really thinking anything outside of normal football preparation, it's not exactly helping here. Um, and there, there are there are black and white arguments in this world, like whether or not to wear a mask is one of those, clearly. But whether or not there can be college football is is much more nuanced, and that's why it's creating you know a lot of tension on both sides, a lot of a lot of anger on both sides, um, and it's it, there's there's not a clear answer right now. Um, whether whether it's going to happen at all, I, I think we've established on this show there is there are better ways to go about it than what some schools have been doing, some conferences have been doing, and again it, it comes back to money for a lot of it. But like, I feel like we're just going to keep having this conversation every week with with new new outbreaks, maybe you know new players opting out. Um, like I mean, we we've already had. We already had great players opt out before their conferences officially pulled the plug. Micah Parsons, Rondale Moore. And wouldn't be surprised if we see more, especially guys that are surefire NFL prospects and presumably have more to lose from playing in a season like this than they have to gain. Well, I, I mean, it's, there is, there seems to be a lot of, or not a lot, I guess, loud voices saying we want to play, but yeah. it's what are, what does the rest of their team say? You know, so we, we have a, a week one schedule. So I guess, I guess we'll see if that actually gets played. I can't even remember. It's supposed to be for what, September 26th? Yeah, a little over a month. So there, I mean, there's still a long way to go before that. So and a lot of things can change in that time frame, as, as we've all seen. I mean, how quickly things changed during the NCAA tournament. We went from – or I, during conference tournament play, we went from fans to no fans to no 
no fans and no spectators, just like staff, and then to no games, like completely canceled in, I think, a 36-hour span. That's, so who, who knows what can happen in, in over a month. That's what last week felt like on a smaller scale, obviously, fewer conferences yeah. basketball. But, yeah, it was uh, – I mean, every hour you're getting some new update about, you know, contingency plans or just – failing entirely a lot of will they won't they um and yeah we're going to inevitably keep seeing stuff like that until the first game kicks off and even after them there it's it's going to it's going to take compliance from everybody and it, it there's there's a lot of people trying to jump on the students for not complying and i like i understand the urge to do that and i have to push back a little bit because was was not too long ago that we were college students. And if you are if you're told by administration that, you know, come back to campus, it's safe. You know, well there there's no reason to be concerned. You're going to, I mean, be motivated to just go about your life as you normally would. Um, obviously there are there are some precautions that that should be taken, but I think that's not necessarily being realistic with with college kids, that expectation, fair or not. Um, so, I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're, yeah, gonna, I mean, if yeah. Gonna, yeah, if you're going to open campuses fully, college kids are going to be college kids, and that strikes down a lot of the arguments for having college football. Um, just, just opening campuses for the sake of that isn't, you know, where we should be. Definitely not. I mean. We, we're in this situation now, like that this is it. We're going to see how it goes as schools are starting to open up. I know Seton Hall's first day of uh, the semester was yesterday or today. So I guess I don't know. I think it was yesterday or today, but move-in day was recently over the weekend. Um, so, oh no, so it had to be today. Today's Monday as we're recording. Um, so yeah, that first day of the semester, August 17th. I guess we'll see what happens as, as more schools get into session and like what's actually going on there. Yeah. You hope everything works out, um, you know, for the players and I mean, countless college towns across America really, really need the economic boost been laying dormant. Um, I mean, since, since March for the most part. So missed out on a lot of, uh, a lot of money just from last school year and over the summer, obviously. So those people have been hurting too. If, Hopefully everybody is smart and safe. Um, otherwise, we'll keep getting more and more dire with these college football conversations. But a quick glance at some games that have actually been scheduled in the SEC. Um, the, it is, like we said before, it's, it's not the most balanced schedule in the world. Um, Alabama gets the the sacrificial lamb and that's that's what a lot of coaches were mad about more so than you know anything coronavirus related but just taking a quick glance at, at what's on the board is there is there anything you are interested in seeing or or excited about yeah i mean i think georgia arkansas oh, i'm sorry that was a joke Kentucky Auburn. I was looking, I was reading through the games. Kentucky Auburn, I think is going to be an interesting one. And Tennessee, South Carolina are the two games that I would have my eye on. 
obviously Tennessee finished the season very hot uh, after after I was on campus. I don't know if that was the reason or not, but I'm going to take 100% of the credit for it. Losing just to Alabama after that. Um, yeah, they, they return a ton. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a, a pretty good recruiting class as well. And their first game on the road, obviously, not going to be quite the environment that uh, we're, we're used to, but at South Carolina would be an interesting game. And then where, like, what does Kentucky look like after last season with the Lynn Bowden experience? And, and now where, where are they going from there? And then Auburn is always a question mark, I feel like. So you never really know what you're going to get from Auburn. You, you know they're going to have talent, but are they going to be good? I guess, or I guess great is the better answer. I think that Auburn is normally good. Are they going to be great, though? Yeah, I, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of those teams make me mad for different reasons. I'm still upset that we were robbed of the IU-Kentucky Gator Bowl experience. Um, and then not knowing what a hands team was against Tennessee was also not great. But um, just glancing at those games, Tennessee, South Carolina, that jumps out at me as being just – an absolute slog to get through. Um, I'm picturing like a 14-12 final, and like I won't even be mad. Like if there's football happening, I will. I will sit through that. You'll savor every minute like, of it. Make it. Make it as Will Must champion as you have to. I will. I will watch it. Um, but the game that jumped out at me the most out of the week one games was Lane Kiffin's debut at Ole Miss, um, taking on Florida and a game that, that Ole Miss would, would expect to be heavy underdogs, but the Magic could be back. And, I mean, I, it will it, – it might not be the best football. It might not be the best team in the world, but it will always be entertaining. And I, I think they're going to have plenty of tricks up their sleeve to make Dan Mullen sweat, and I, I think he'll return with quite a few of his own. So that – that I would expect to be a very entertaining football game. The lane train. It's, uh, I mean, yeah, I, you got to look at the, basically the entire state of Mississippi, though. Mike Leach's debut at Mississippi State, he's at LSU, the defending national champs. It's like, man, you couldn't have given him anything easier than that? Like, let him, let him play, I don't know, Arkansas, Missouri. But no, you got to save those for Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> those are already earmarked for... <laughs> Teams that we knew would be good. Um, yeah, that's welcome to the SEC. Something that would have been great, but would have made everyone lose their mind is just like come to the realization: Hey, we might not get through a, a full season, but you just know, rivalry we, week, it, week one. Yeah, just start off with the Egg Bowl, like the, the like, Egg Bowl, uh, Iron Bowl. Everybody's playing Egg Bowl two, Return of the Piss Dog. Um, somebody something somebody's got to uh to make it on there um yeah but something to look forward to um college football season a little taste for now um and hopefully our conversations about college football start to get more and more positive but until then that's that's really all we can we can do uh, we are, we're going to go over to our interview with Austin Torres now, um, and we will see you on the other side. We now welcome on a very special guest. Surprised it's taken us this long 
to get a, a golden domer on the show, but but we have him, former Notre Dame forward, Austin Torres. Austin, thanks for coming on. Hey, Brian, I appreciate you having me. It's uh, always a pleasure getting to talk basketball with you. I know that we've uh, we've gotten to share a couple of titles in, in Chicago and the social club, but, you know, we got to we haven't been able to do that since since COVID's come around, so we'll have to continue that once everything is all set in stone and ready to go. There's nothing more prestigious than that, for sure. Um, but going going back to your time in Notre Dame, you did win a, a more prestigious title, the the ACC title. Um, had a lot of success, honestly. Um, I, I would say we were talking before you came on. Probably one of the most, if not the most, successful stretch in uh, in Notre Dame basketball history. Uh, I mean, just kind of playing at that time and all the success you guys had, what was, what was that experience like for you? Yeah, it was really exciting. I mean, we, we just really enjoyed uh, kind of being a unit. We uh, really just kind of focused on each other and kind of moving on to the next play, like regardless of if there was any sort of, you know, issue on the core or, you know, issue in the classroom or issue social-wise. We always wanted to make sure that we were, you know, kept in the loop with each other so that we were all – and that kind of transferred over to the court in terms of our communication. And that just kind of uh, fueled our, our entire success throughout my classes uh, four years. Yeah. It feels like in a true like Mike Bray team fashion, like the culture was very strong amongst you guys, but also everyone knew their role and you kind of had that energy role. And mm -hmm. what was it like playing like that? Cause some sometimes there would be like the limited minutes, but other times you would have, you know, Bonzi Colson got hurt and you stepped in and played some huge minutes in some big games for, for Notre Dame that year. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was really rewarding. So I'm from, you know, the South Bend area and from, from Grand Jordan, you know, four or five miles from campus. And so being able to, you know, be able to play in front of my family, play in front of my friends uh, and just my, my community uh, allowed for me to just, that kind of just fueled me in general. And then also just being in front of, you know, thousands of people, you know, trying to feel success in which we were having uh, just made it that much more fun and that much more competitive to want to get to that, to that level of winning a national championship, which we were unfortunately short of. Growing up that close, was it kind of always a, a given that you would go to Notre Dame? No. So originally I committed to, uh, and sorry, Keno Davis, originally committed to central, central Michigan. Uh, and Coach Bray had kind of helped me through the recruiting process because I was kind of a late bloomer and had, you know, multiple, multiple offers and different like visits that I needed. You know, I can only take up five official visits, but I had a ton of different offers and a lot and couldn't, didn't have enough time to take any unofficial visits because of, you know, because of school. So essentially I was kind of, you know, trying to figure out what was best and what he knew just being a coach and being in the recruiting market, like how they, how they were as, you know, staff. And, uh, you know, I let him know that I originally, you know, had committed to Central Michigan. You know, he's proud of me, happy for me, so on and so forth. Um, and then Demetrius Jackson actually had called me uh, probably three or four days after I committed to Central Michigan and said, you know, what, what do you think about going to Notre Dame? I said, what? And he goes, what do you think about going to Notre Dame? I said, what are you talking about? He said, can Coach Bray call you? I said, sure. So I talked to Coach Bray uh, and he came over to my house the next night, him and Coach uh, Solomon. And they basically talked to my parents, my grandparents, myself, basically just gave out this whole spiel about, you know, what they envisioned for the next five years with me at Notre Dame. And so that kind of like, you know, being a hometown kid, growing up a Notre Dame fan, third generation, it was just something that I had always dreamed of uh, and was able to make it come true. 
Yeah, the, I mean, the, the family piece is always interesting. I feel like so many people, and your story's unique because I think so many people, when they've got like the family lineage at Notre Dame, you're like, oh yeah, Notre Dame, that's what that's where I'm I'm headed to. But it's interesting to see like the the Central Michigan commitment, and then obviously you and Demetrius Jackson played AAU together, right? Yep. So, yeah, so coach, coach, that's where I really got the exposure because Coach yeah. Ray came to every single one of our games to watch him, and then I grew on him since you know we were playing together. Right. So shout out AAU circuit that we we've talked Seriously about. Enough, it a, yeah. We've talked about it a few times. It's it's such an interesting just environment in general, but it's huge for a guy like you, like you said, late bloomer, because so often there are, there are these names that come out of nowhere seemingly in the summer circuit or whatever it may be. So for you to be able to do that, obviously get to Notre Dame, I guess in your mind, what is like the, the hurt now for guys coming out of high school, going to college or looking to go to college and play college basketball now with the coronavirus hitting and AAU basically shutting down completely? Uh, this is the perfect opportunity to essentially, you know, work on your game when no one's watching, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. someone can may, as a, as a forward, let's use B Fox as an example. He's, you know, typically going to be your, your low post and corner, in corner three guy, right? Now, if let's say he, he, he became someone who had a, a one dribble pull, right, left, could go all the way to the holes, like spin to the rim within that four or five months of, you know, not being able to essentially play competitive basketball, uh, it really just allows for you to know what your bandwidth is in a time where uh, there's essentially no basketball going on, right? So you're essentially, everyone's at ground zero. You know, you can, you can, you know, post all these videos and do everything you want, but essentially once you get out of the court, which everyone's going to be able to do at the same time, that's how it's going to be once you perform then to really determine, you know, how, how you've been working the last, you know, five, six months, you know, even longer, depending on how long it takes for everybody to get back to playing again. I hate to burst anyone's bubble out there, but I have not been doing that over the last few months. <laughs> you not have a personal <laughs> Hey, I, hey, we'll work on that when we when we get back to playing again. We're gonna have to win another uh, a couple more championships while we're in Chicago. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, so going to Notre Dame, playing for Mike Ray. I feel like he shows up on a lot of those internet lists. You'll see all the time, like coach you'd most want to have a beer with or, or something like that. I'm sure not always that way all the time because basketball can be an intense sport. But you know. Growing under him, playing under him, what was, what was that like? Pretty, pretty rewarding experience. Yeah, definitely a rewarding experience. He's a really good sales guy. Uh, I'll tell you that, and that's why he's such a good recruiter. Is he's a really good sales guy. He knows how to sell the brand. He knows how to sell himself and the coaching staff. And what the what Notre Dame, what a Notre Dame degree or playing or having the Notre Dame network can do for you in the future. And he's really good at selling that to the parents as well. Um, he's his his assistants do a great job on the skill side in terms of really trying to develop, uh, really develop us from a player standpoint in terms of skills. And then coach Bray is kind of the, kind of like the head operator in terms of how he, how he wants his team to, you know, function offensively and defensively with suggestions, obviously from the, from the assistant coaches and from the players, we're really player run team. Uh, We, you know, we voice our opinions. We kind of work together and that's kind of how we were successful is that we work together Practices were always just up and down. We didn't really have stop. Like Coach Brady didn't stop practice that much. Practices were probably on average an hour and 20 minutes. 
was probably, you know, an hour or less than I had in high school, but it was an hour and 20 minutes of productive getting up and down the floor where there was no, where there was really no stop and uh, practice every day was super competitive. I tell you that, that 14, 15 year when we, when we lost Kentucky in the lead eight, that 12 to 14 people, it was actually all 15, but we had some injuries. Those practices were competitive every day. You wouldn't even have been able to tell who was a starter, who was a starter, who wasn't a starter. That's just how competitive the practices were. And he made it that way. You brought it up. I think we've got to talk about it now, but that Kentucky game. Demetrius Jackson has a hell of a night. I mean, it, it looks like things are trending in your direction and last minute it doesn't end up working out. What, what are your thoughts during that game? And like, what was the team's mentality as, you know, you're, you're getting closer to the finish and potentially beating this unbeaten Kentucky team, which in my opinion, I think you guys actually won the game and should have won the game. And it just like, you know, it just doesn't work out like that sometimes in basketball, but what's the team's mentality? What's your mindset in a situation like that? Uh, after or just during? I guess during and then obviously after. I'm, I'm assuming disappointed, but yeah, during would be. Well, uh, I'll tell you, and this I haven't actually said to anyone before, but I got called out for it after the game, so I might as well say it now is to start the game or before the game during warmups, you could dunk during warmups when the referees weren't there yet. And I decided to go up and try to do a windmill and I got hung really bad, like really bad. I'm pretty sure my sister actually got a slow motion video of it. And, you know, I was like, oh, it can't be one of those nights, right? Like, come on. Well, essentially we, we were just really playing to uh, at least contain their, their big, or their, their uh, main seven or eight guys that, uh, could really have a, a big night any, on any given night. We just wanted to try to contain it to one or two, which essentially we were able to do for most of the game, which was just, you know, Cap had an absolutely unbelievable game. And, uh, you know, Zach had also played really, really well. And they kind of battled it out on the offensive and defensive end. Uh, but at the, end of the, at, at the end of the day, there were some big shots that were made. Like Tyler Ulis wasn't a great three-point shooter in college, made a huge corner three when we moved to a two-three zone after a timeout. Like there are a couple of things like that that really kind of gave uh, – is it really going to go this direction uh, type of game? But like Jaron shot when Willie Kleistein blocked it from, I don't know, he was a 36, I don't know how many, how many feet away he was from, from Jaron when he actually like tipped the three point step back. Uh, but it was just a really, it was just a really awesome experience being there just in general, being like quick loans and playing as the, you know, big blue nation for the first time since I've been in college. Uh, and the fact that it was, majority Kentucky because that was the year that they were supposed to be kind of the next undefeated in, in men's, men's basketball. Yeah, obviously I met Zach August and not Demetrius Jackson. He did not have the stellar game. It was it was Zach August, but yes. Um, and then obviously the disappointment post game is like, I'm sure something yeah. that's unmatched. Yeah, it's just, well, it's just like, so you know, you're never as, as a unit and, you know, playing with Jaron and with Pat, yeah. you know you're never going to play with them again, mm -hmm. right? You never know that you're going to play with them again. You have – Zach had an unbelievable NCAA end of his year – or end of his year, junior year. He probably could have left or at least tried to see – you know, test the waters, uh, but decided to come back. So, you just never know if that's going to be the last time that you're, you know, go, <laughs> lacing them up to go to practice or to, you know, put on a uniform and, and play in a game. And it's and – it's, that's the sad part. And that mm -hmm. it's always the, it's always the what if kind of like this, you know, my last year when we won Maui and then Monty got hurt, Matt got hurt and probably the 
biggest what if season their name's ever had. And that's, you know, those things are really disappointing, but there's nothing you can really do about it. And it's just, you just have to try to keep a positive mentality, try to move on to the next play. Yeah. I mean, that's, I feel like that's a, a more mature attitude than, than a lot of people in that position would take. So, I mean, that's very commendable. Nothing else. Um, what did you think from me in Beatbox? No, I, I was, I was going to say. Like, did you think I was going to be salty? Come on now. No, not you specifically. I, I was more going to say. I only, get, I only get salty at those Gold Coast rests, man. I'm telling you. That's it. No, I was going to say that's the kind of attitude I would kind of expect from Notre Dame player under Mike Bray. Everybody always seems to be very level-headed. Um, now, I was ramping up to transition. Um, you, you look at that particular Kentucky team. Um, there might have been better teams in NCAA history, but maybe not one with more individual talents. Um, but that takes nothing away from some of the guys you played with. You've, you've been dropping a litany of names, Demetrius Sack. Pat Connaughton, Bonsi. Um, is there is there one guy in particular that that kind of jumps out as maybe the the best that you played with during your time at Notre Dame? Oh, I I mean, I mean, you can't really you can't really say because you play against them almost every day in practice, and you were with them at certain times in your own career in terms of even body size, like like. My redshirt year, so 13-14, when we went like 15-17, and 17, lost in the first day of the ACC, first year of the ACC tournament. Um, and, like, Derek Sherman was impossible to guard in practice. Like, he was but – but, again, I was a redshirt freshman. Like, I was still kind of growing. My body was still maturing. And he, he, there he is, you know, 6'10", six, 6'11", six, 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 with a, you know, seven-foot wingspan who not necessarily athletic, but he has the best – you know, some of the best footwork, right? But in terms of, like, players who did the most um, just overall, I think, in their entire career is probably Pat, uh, just because he had an impact ever since his freshman year, and it never stopped, and he did it in multiple sports. Uh, and that never really stopped him from, you know, essentially reaching his goal, which was to be drafted in those sports. I, I wanted to ask about Pat because I, I think to the, the casual fan um, – you know, he, he was a, a great college player, but you look at him now playing a, an important role on an NBA title hopeful. Uh, I, I don't know if that's something that a lot of people saw coming. You're working with him every day. You talk about that drive. Is that is his kind of rise in the professional ranks surprising to you at all? Yeah, no, he he's just very he has a really good work ethic. Uh, and he also likes to keep up high in fashion. So he's got to make sure he's got the money to be able to to, to support himself. Um, but no, it's, it's really about his, just his work ethic. And he really wants to just be a, a role model and example to, to the young and to the youth and to just really show that they're, you know, you can be a small kid from a, a, a small town in Massachusetts or even a big, big town in Massachusetts. Uh, and you can, you know, make your dreams come true as long as you put your, put your mind and effort towards it. Um, but he wants to have more of a, more of an impact away from basketball too. And I think that that's what uh, a big difference that he has, uh, is that he has his own, you know, the, I think it's the with us foundation or we for us foundation, you know, he's just had, he's done a lot of different things in the community. That's not necessarily seen all the time or necessarily talked about all the time, but he does a really good job of just carrying himself as, as a role model, whether or not he's, you know, on, on camera or off camera, it doesn't matter who, who he's dealing with or who he's around. He's always going to be that guy. You got, you were there during the ACC years or the start of the ACC years. And I think B Fox will appreciate this as he just despises 
this team and their style of play, but you guys scored 70 plus twice on Virginia during your time at Notre Dame. Are they as difficult, like annoying to play against in terms of their defensive scheme as it is eyesore on TV, or is it just, you know, the, the pack line just genuinely works and there's, there's a reason why Tony Bennett doesn't go away from it. No, they're robots. They're literally robots. They work in like a unit. Like if you watched them from a above camera angle, you would probably watch them and like synchronize. Like that's how well they move defensively and how well they communicate. Uh, and the other thing about Tony Bennett's team, so I would almost consider how Tony Bennett runs his teams, kind of like how Coach Bray runs his teams in terms of how he wants to develop guys. And uh, now he does it a little bit more of in a defensive way in a more efficient offensive way, whereas Coach Bray is more about de- developing you as an athlete, as in a physically uh, and uh, emotionally, and then also just developing your skills offensively, not necessarily driven by defense, but, you know, by developing your athleticism, uh, speed and quickness, that kind of gets into the whole defensive aspect. You just kind of have to learn the mentality aspect. Um, but they, he just does a really good job of wanting to, uh, be he just doesn't want people to score like that's the whole purpose of the game right it is to limit the number of baskets that go into the game and he just does a really good job of getting into his guys and communicating on that aspect and it really is just that that good it was that it's just that they worked as a unit it was robotic it was really hard to play against I mean that's that's certainly what it looks like and I'm I'm glad I don't have a rooting interest in the ACC because if I had to like watch my team go up against that every year I would I would probably just start throwing things at the TV but but you see like UMBC like right. come on right like mm-hmm. come on are you serious they got blown up by 20 they were the first first and they were in the top seed of the entire bracket and they lost in the first weekend by 20 points it's like this is supposed to be their year they're like 30 and 2 and then you know they lose like, it just doesn't make sense. So if, if, you, if you're able to break it, I don't know what it was because nobody else could do it again. They won the next year. Uh, is There's a flaw. I don't know what it is. UMBC found it or something. Just hit shots, I guess. I don't know. It's really all – that's the thing, though. That's the other thing, too, is that the me- mentally playing against their defense, that's the other thing. Like, you see, you know, they're averaging 50, 50.2 points, you know, allowed defensively when, you know, in reality it's – you could probably score 65, 72 points um, on them. It's just the mentality of re- recognizing that they're a really, really good defensive team and that they do really close out well. So it's, it's just they're well coached. Yeah. I mean, if, if it was a, a simple enough secret that UMBC's coach could just bottle that and sell it, it would make a ton of money for sure. That was yeah. the most ridiculous games in NCAA history. So disappointing. Um, so kind of somebody who, who caught headlines a couple of years ago from a local team, Loyola, Sister Jean, you guys, of course, have, have Father Pete. Um, mm-hmm. I, I met him when I was, was, was a lot younger, didn't, didn't get a chance to watch him play, but I heard the legend of Father Kobe because he just gets buckets. Uh, did, did you guys he, he really does. Into, uh, into his game, and is there, uh, is there any truth to that? Yeah, he actually 
would come to our practices pretty often. So he was our, he was obviously our, our priest for the basketball team and he would come in and watch, uh, we would do mass the night before every game. And he would obviously sit on our bench and whatnot. So he would shoot around with us always, like after, after practice, prior to, um, prior to the actual mass and, and our team dinner. And, you know, he just loves being around the team and he has this lucky stroke that is, you wouldn't anticipate it if you knew him as a, like per, like personally, and then you watch him on the court. I mean, you know he loves sports and he loves people and talking about it. But watching him actually play basketball, he's got a little something too. He's got some little. He's been coached by Coach Brantley, but I tell you that, a little more offensively than defensively. It's the mold of a Coach Bray player, though, right? Yep, exactly. Well, for most, <laughs> for most. Um, I guess looking back on, on your time at Notre Dame, like we said at the, at the start, the most successful years, is there, you know, any particular win that really stands out the most is, is your personal favorite or maybe like the, the most important to you? Um, wow. A lot. Uh, probably, probably Michigan state my freshman year or my redshirt freshman year, just cause it was kind of like my coming quote unquote coming out party uh, that I actually played significant minutes during a, a big, a big game. And it was my first time. It was like the sixth or seventh game of the year uh, in my first actual year playing. And to have that exposure and play and do that in our, our first big home game was, was really, really exciting. It kind of just gave me the confidence to kind of carry on that energy piece, like moving forward. Austin, we really appreciate the time. This has been a ton of fun. Um, it's great, great glimpse behind the curtains into uh, what goes into being a ACC basketball player with Mike Bray. So we uh, really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you you both having me on today, and uh, I, I look forward to watching this a little bit more because I haven't been keeping up on it. And we are back. Another another strong guest. We're, we're, we're hitting a good stride in terms of guests. Like we're getting, I wouldn't say we're getting lucky. I'd say that they are just all doing a, a good job. I don't know. Like it, it's hard to even explain because they, uh, they just, they come with the energy. They come with the presence. And I mean, Austin was, was great, had really insightful things to say, not just about his time at Notre Dame, but Mike Bray and even didn't even give me any shit for messing up the uh, who had a big game against Kentucky. So I mean, if we if we ever get his AAU teammate on, maybe maybe yeah. Dimitri as well. But yeah, that uh, that could not have been more awkwardly phrased. He he did do a good job. So. He did. Um, yeah, well, more more notes for future guests. B Frank is uh, is great and pretty friendly. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah. No, Austin's a great guy. And uh, I'll give anyone an A plus when I am in this mental state. I can't. I just. St. Louis took everything out of me this weekend, and I am. I'm still not back. It has that effect on most people, but sometimes for other reasons. Right. Um, yeah, but that's in case anyone else out there is uh, is thinking whether or not they they would like to be a guest that's that's as ringing an endorsement as you get you will always get an a plus from bingo um, provided you do not say too many inflammatory things about indiana football um just gotta throw that in there but 
Real life college basketball, not as much necessarily going on as football with the will they, won't they, but there, there's a little bit of a, a timeline being set for whether or not this season will start on time. Um, so that, I don't know, it feel, feels like progress a little bit, but I don't know. Dave Gavitt has, or not Dave, Jesus Christ. Ga- <laughs> this is in my day. I can't, I can't get it. Um, Dan Gavitt, Dave Gavitt's son, who is basically in charge of college basketball for the NCAA, has come out and, and basically said they've been in the planning stages for quite a bit of time now, and they're working with people to come up with the best possible solution for how they're going to make this season happen. Infinitely better than anything we've heard out of college football leading up to it. So I am hopeful in that sense. Uh, there, there was the note that the decision is going to be made by mid-September, which is interesting. But I, I think, you know, I think Kevin Willard's theory has a lot of, uh, a lot of merit and should at least be the leader in the clubhouse right now, as opposed to really right away trying to go to these conference bubbles. Yeah, um, and that's. That, that is a little uh, reassuring that, you know, leagues in, in a sport with more time to figure it out is actually using that time to potentially come up with solutions, which, again, is more than we can say about college football at large. I, I, I just don't want to think about the possibility of a world without March Madness two years in a row. Like we are, we are teetering close to purge levels. If that happens, I, I think, I think it could go full anarchy. It's, I mean, imagine being, I don't even know a fan base that I can pick on right now. I guess Rutgers is a good example. This is going to be like their best team in forever. And Come on. they, uh, they, they were an NCAA tournament team last year, but, Hey, if they don't like, if the NCAA tournament doesn't happen, the streak still continues from 1991 to now. So they still haven't made an NCAA tournament since 91, which is something you just absolutely hate to see. You really do. Really, certainly those of us on this program take no pleasure in reporting that. None whatsoever. Um, But but that but that is going to be a uh, like a thing now, and I that will be true about teams that you think would make the tournament, but you can't say for sure if they would have made it last year because the bracket was never released. I get to keep saying Archie is not made it at Indiana, and you can't prove me wrong. You could say – I mean, I guess you could say for the, the top four reveal that your team was in or, like, more, more so of a lock than other teams. And then I, if you won your conference tournament, you could say you're in. But, yes, Indiana, True. you could say <laughs> – but Rutgers is neither of those things. Correct. They were very much neither of those things. Hell will freeze over before they are in the top four reveal show um, like that, I think. I don't know. We've seen some weird things. We might actually walk that back. I, yeah, I, if, if, a season hap- if a full season were to happen, I genuinely think they could get there. And that's what I don't like to, to know. Or, or think of 
the the problem is in, in certain um you know, certain conferences the pac-12 coming out already and saying that they're they're not going to play really any sports fall semester um which makes maui challenging because stanford as we are recording this is a back 12 team and I, I don't want to take away some of the the maui fits from people um you know archie and, and tom cream side by sides as as drip gods is something i'm looking forward to posting and i i don't want that taken away from me but it's it's kind of becoming real for a lot of the, the sweeping declarations that were coming out as college football was doing their whole will they, won't they thing. Um, and some of those had repercussions to basketball season as it normally exists. So even if the season starts on time, even if they come to that decision, like there are still schools that have basically already said that they won't be doing that or conferences at least yeah the i guess the question is can they roll back on that like if there is a plan put in place that the leagues find sustainable i mean first off i i, I think i tweeted it out but larry scott's gonna larry scott no matter what happens like that's just, that's just something that we all have to deal with and that is exactly what has happened here if there is something if there's a plan put in place that is good enough like meet standards or whatever, can, can leagues change their mind? Like can the Pac-12 all of a sudden be like, okay, yeah, under those, under those circumstances, we will play. I don't know. So I, so. I would hope so as well. Um, but that, I mean, that, that is certainly something to look out for. And then, like you said, if maybe we just, the show goes on without the Pac-12, like are we really losing anything? That that was you know, a little bit of a loaded question and, and partly joking, but I mean, are we? In terms of national title contenders, no. But yeah, it's it's that that tweet that goes viral like every two weeks, normalized changing your opinion when presented with new information. Right. If, if something were to come out that is you know sustainable and safer than doing nothing at all, um, which is a terrible way of phrasing that, but you know what I mean. Um, I, I would hope that the Pac-12 would be open and receptive to that. Otherwise, they'd just be saying no for the sake of being stubborn. Um, but we're not there yet. We don't necessarily know if, if that's even going to be a scenario that, that could arise. Um, but as it stands right now, there, there would have to be some, some backtracking by certain parties. I know there have been smaller conferences, too, that have basically, you know, eliminated the idea of, of any sports happening fall semester. And it will be interesting to keep tabs on, like we mentioned before, situations like North Carolina, like how many more schools that started with in-person classes are going to... Um, make the decision to go to remote learning only and how will that impact sports? Um, can, like Conceivably, it would be safer for athletes, as we've said, if the campus is closed, but then you're asking them to be more at risk. So we get back into that discussion again. Um, so it's there, there's a lot that still needs to happen before this kind of mid-September deadline that 
they've set um, determining the the timeline for college basketball further. So we'll see. There's there's a lot there's a lot to work through again. There is there there really is, and I you know this the speculative talk is just so annoying. Like can we, can we just get <laughs> something concrete so I can just talk about it and not have to yeah, go in circles each week? But this is the world we live in now. Yeah, it's everyone's just holding on by a thread for for the possibility of things happening normally, um, which we are, we are past the point of for most things. College basketball, having a normal-ish start date would, uh, I think, would do a lot of wonders for various people's mental states. So yeah. let's see if we can actually make that a reality. I will, I will remain, as, as we were uh, preseason for football with our top tens, we'll remain optimistic until it is no longer plausible um, fortunately for us they're going to tell us well beforehand whether or not we should be getting our conference previews and top 10 ready which yeah. i guess yeah is the, the the bright side of this but until until it gets dark true true um but i mean the the ncaa it seems to be taking a similar optimistic approach with the amount of waivers they're granting for the upcoming season which I think we can agree is more than typical. Um, yeah, you know, acting like people who who think there there will be a, a season to play. Yeah, I I off the top of my head cannot think of a player that I've seen that has not gotten a waiver that applied for one, or at least publicly been denied. There are a lot of guys now that are getting their waivers, like the Mitchell brothers up at Rhode Island. Um, were, were some of the recent ones before we started recording. So it seems like the NCAA is, is acting as if they need to get everybody through and everyone on the court. Yeah, I mean, and that like, could just be a, a PR move. But again, we, we won't know until we know. But this makes me as optimistic as I can be based on actions of the NCAA, which one of the lower bars out there, but definitely that's uh, we're, we're, t- we're taking the victories where we can. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a long off season, obviously longer than normal. Um, the, the draft decisions were delayed as much as possible. Now you're getting waivers granted. So, so rosters are, are finally, being locked in uh, much later than anyone would have ever expected. Um, but we are pretty much at this point of being ready to get into college basketball mode. The only thing left to happen is figuring out a way to actually make the season work. Um, so we were, we were very close. Right there. <laughs> but um, until then, we always have fake basketball. Always. Um, and not, not a lot going on in, uh, in Heat Check Sim World right now, but did just want to quickly mention, or, or pour one out rather, um, for, the, for the Pirates. Back-to-back NCAA tournament bids, though. Yeah, I um, guess that's something. This coach, man, he needs to get his shit together. Uh, 
Yeah, eight straight wins. We, I, I kind of ran through the scenarios and what I expected. It was not what I expected. It was the worst case scenario. We, we lose in the Big East tournament to St. John's and then we get bounced in the first round by Virginia Tech, I believe it was, and scored like 55 point, 54 points. So my, my team that is known for, for scoring does not do any of that. We averaged 71.8 points a game and we couldn't even break – 55 uh if the j george era ends that i guess that's it um i hope i hope he has an isaiah whitehead type return for year two and that can lead to a big east title and not a disappointing blowout loss to gonzaga in the first round but i'll take the first part so j george is back we're gonna have a little roster movement that i probably did i did not anticipate but the team the team will be better for it yeah i think that's Pretty, pretty factual statement. Yeah. Um, but if, if he does leave after a year, just remember, it's not about the wins and losses. It's about the friends you made along the way. It's the truth. That's, that's what he'll be comforted by as he, as he goes to the NBA. Um, also wanted to give a quick shout out to the last two guests we had on before Austin, um, Eli and Heatcheck, Joe Lunardi, because the final four is Florida and Purdue, and Arizona and UNC, and Eli predicted Florida, Joe predicted North Carolina, so there's a chance they could meet in the final still. He don't, 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 don't do it. Mm-mm. He also said Purdue can make a run. He did. I, 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 forget, I forgot some, uh, yeah. I, I, I wrote that down pre-show, uh, but he, he, did say, he did say Purdue is a possibility as well. I thought this was the obligatory talk, like don't give Purdue props thing. Oh no, I, that no, I. In in most circumstances, I would be that intentional, but as this is not real life, I, <laughs> I don't I don't feel that obligation as much. Fair. Um, I don't know. It it seems like the whoever Bill Walton is would be happiest with an Arizona victory, so maybe that's who I root for. But I don't I don't know. There's not a lot. There's not a lot in it for me. Yeah, I guess like it would have been better if I lost. Like if I won the first round and lost to Florida, so then I can be right. like, oh, I lost to the national champ. But yeah, if if this brings out heat check, Bill Walton, I think Arizona winning would be great. You were you were what only four points worse than however many points Virginia Tech was worse than Florida. Uh, three. They lost eighty-one fifty-seven. <laughs> All right. Well, that that helps less, but okay. A, a little, a little extra step in the transitive property there. I think you can. Uh, Florida has scored eighty-one, eighty-one, seventy-eight, and eighty-one in their four games. They they beat me by roughly one million points in conference play, and that is not worth fact checking because that's fairly sounds right to me. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was ugly, but not unexpected. That that's what happens when you just dominate recruiting so thoroughly. And then Arizona's doing this and they got like every single West Coast recruit this year. So they're gonna be back. Can't wait for that. Yeah, they have the number one class. Yeah. So that's troubling. North troubling. Carolina has the number five class. So, I guess it's I guess those are the names to remember for next year. 
But you're telling me college basketball royalty is going to stay that way. Nothing at all like the real thing. Nothing, nothing like the real thing. Uh, all right, that's, uh, that's about all I've got. Got anything else? No, I'm ready for season three, and I'm, I'm staying hopeful for football and basketball. Yeah, Blue guys have to be ahead in, I mean, yeah, basically all three things we talk about. So we're, uh, we're going to end it on a positive note and uh, check back next week for when the tone of the show will probably be right back where we started. But until then, nothing but optimism and stay safe out there.